Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Show. I'm your host, Scott Spratt, a writer for Football Outsiders. Hopefully you're catching us uh, uh, out live on our Twitch stream at twitch.tv slash fboutsiders. But also if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform as part of the Football Outsiders Network, thanks so much for tuning in. Today we've got a great guest, Brandon Funston, legendary fantasy writer for The Athletic. Brandon, what's going on? Back from vacation to catch out some of that preseason football, right? That's right. It all starts now, man. It's got my vacation in and it's, uh, you know, all fantasy football all the time at this point, just like it is for all of us in the industry. Really. Absolutely. And Brandon's going to help us sort through some of the wide receivers and tight ends with really interesting target splits from last year. But since we had semi-real games, I think it's only appropriate that we start with some of the action from week one of the preseason. And I think, Brandon, that probably has to start with the quarterbacks, especially the rookie quarterbacks. We had all of those guys in action, most of them playing pretty heavily, the, the uh, round one guys. So I'll start here. Did your opinions of any of those rookie quarterbacks change after seeing them play for a quarter or two in that preseason action? Um, no, I don't think dramatically, um, just individually, there was things, you know, I was, I was revisiting, um, a lot of them this morning and, and Justin Fields impressed me. I, yeah. it, he was shaky early at the fumble. He had the should have been an interception early. I think I thought he settled in. You can see where his ability kind of Russell Wilson esque ability to roll out of the pocket and, and still make plays, keep his head downfield. So that mm -hmm. I think bodes well. And just given his situation, you know, if we're trying to looking at the clock at when these guys could take over, like it really seems like Justin Fields could be an early takeover there, you know? We, yeah. I mean, that would be know, huge yeah. for fantasy if it were true. Like I, I think, I think Danny Heifetz of the ringer, I think I heard him say that, Fields ran like a four four forty. He's basically like a tenth of a second faster than Allen Robinson, his number one receiver. It's just like it's it's crazy how valuable he could be for fantasy if he's playing in week one. Yeah, and I wanted to throw this out to you because I threw it out to some of my colleagues at the Athletic. We do this round, round table piece, and it was kind of I, I sort of baiting them into like if we knew that Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields and Trey Lance were all week one starters, mm -hmm. how would you rank them? And everybody kind of uniformly went Trevor Lawrence number one. And I'm like, if you're if you're willing to rank Jalen Hurts ahead of Trevor Lawrence, why wouldn't you be willing to rank Justin Fields ahead of Trevor Lawrence if he's the week one starter? I like yeah. his I like his arm better, I like his personnel better, and maybe Jalen Hurts has a little bit higher rushing upside, but not so much that I think you would think that they're dissimilar in terms of fantasy value. So what I, I what I yeah. saw is like yeah I think he he could be a QB one out of the gate if he's a week one starter I don't think he'll be a week one starter but he he will be I think fairly early in the season. I'm the wrong person to ask about Jalen Hurts because I'm pessimistic of him as a passer and I'm like terrified that he's going to get too. benched during the season, <laughs> which is like obviously that would mess up everybody from a fantasy perspective. One thing I'll say about Fields and and keep in mind that I tend to be conservative with a lot of these guys by nature, um, but. Fields had a lot of success against the like Miami third stringers. And I just, it, it kind of presented a picture that he was so much ahead of Andy Dalton that I'm not sure that's true in real life. Uh, now he obviously can bring more things to the table and it's going to be much better from a fantasy perspective than Dalton. But, you know, we, we currently are projecting fields to take over somewhere in the week four to week 11 range. And even as great as he looked, I don't think that really changed my perspective on that. Do you have sort of a similar timetable in your mind? Yeah, and you throw out week four, which I think is a home game against Detroit. That's a nice soft landing, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so, yeah, I think that's – and Chicago's tough. It's a very boisterous, uh, opinionated crowd, and I think that just the clamor for fields is going to be heavy early on. And, 
you know, he's played, he's played on a huge level in the, in the NCAA. And I, I do think that if they're, you know, if they're sputtering a bit, that that will be a change that they'll be, they'll be willing to make. Now, I think Trey Lance is a lot more complicated because mm-hmm. uh, I think Jimmy Garoppolo gets lost a lot. This is a team that's, I think, Super Bowl contender, uh, you know, worthy. And there's a decent chance Jimmy Garoppolo, Garoppolo gets in there and, and this, this team's running and firing on all cylinders. And maybe, it's, you know, he's not the ideal upside quarterback that Kyle Shanahan wants. But if they're not losing games and they're playing well, I mean, this could be Pat Mahomes all over again, where he gets, you know, he gets to duck his head in at the end of the season. But uh, maybe they're they're not going to be willing to make that change for a long time. And I think Trey Lance, Mm -hmm. he has some of that Pat Mahomes to him. You can kind of see it. There's a lot. There's a cool confidence to him. But I also think he's, you know, you could you, just from watching him, a little bit of a work in progress. You know, he was sacked four times, had a fumble, mm-hmm. um, could have had an interception very easily. Um, there was some a lot of good, and then there was some bad. So I think, you know, if he's going to be making mistakes, I don't know if they're wanting to throw him out there until they feel like he's, you know, going to take care of the ball. Yeah, it's weird. I actually had the same, like, snap judgment to what I saw that you did, where I, I – uh... I tw- tweeted at Mike Tanier, one of our writers who did all of our preseason workups uh, this year. And I was like, man, this like, it gave me major Patrick Mahomes vibes in the sense that like, I could absolutely see him not starting at all this year, but then being like an MVP borderline candidate yeah. next year, yeah. like the arm talent was really, really impressive. Like really, he stood out to me more than any other player, probably because I had seen less of him before. But, you know, if you look at his raw stats, they don't do him justice because I think he suffered from maybe four drops on some really, really excellent throws uh, did take a bunch of sacks, as you mentioned, but Garoppolo, I was surprised to see had a 7% sack rate in 2019, his last healthy season. That was 12th highest in the league, despite his very low A dot. So I'm not sure that's something that Garoppolo is leaps and bounds ahead of him, but yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm and, also in hmm. Lance, man, that, that touchdown. I mean, it wasn't just a drop back. I mean, that was, you know, you roll to the left side and throw across the field and hit mm-hmm. a guy, you know, going out to the sideline over a, defensive back shoulder that's a that's a great throw so you love um, to see a guy with that kind of arm strength that can vary the velocity and touch of his passes like that's something that a lot of the sort of natural talents they have to kind of learn that part of the game and Lance seems to have it already so very exciting I think both Fields and Lance absolutely great shallow league flyers this season as guys that maybe by the time the fantasy playoffs roll around they could be giving you top 10 production at the position yeah what did you think about Lawrence so I mean Lawrence I'd say both he and Wilson, neither one stood out to me. I thought that they were doing a lot more of managing the game in sort of an intelligent way, not really taking the bigger shots. So like there wasn't the wow moments with either of them that, that there were with Lance and Fields, but I think that's fine. I think Lawrence does have a lot of fantasy value. Uh, I think that he's kind of surrounded by a shocking amount of talent at the skill positions in, in Jacksonville. So I think that he can, he can be good. And I think he's another sneaky runner type that can, can produce a little bit on the ground, if not like Lance and Fields, but enough to kind of threaten QB one upside this season. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's hard to take anything away from Lawrence. It seemed like they they were emphasis on getting the ball out quickly right away, throwing from the pocket, not really doing a whole lot of improving. So he was he was quick out to Lavisca Chanel and hitting guys on quick you know down and outs and and stuff like that. Like you said, they didn't take the big shots. Um, he took a couple sacks, and even when he was getting the ball out quickly, it seemed like the pressure was on mm-hmm. him pretty consistently. So I wonder about that offensive line a little bit. Um, that could be 
something that plagues him. But uh, yeah, I don't know. There was a whole lot to take away from that first one. I'll be more interested to see what he looks like the second time around. So Brandon, you can't see this in the Twitch chat right now, but these guys have all figured out how to use our new emojis or whatever they're called. <laughs> so they're basically taking like photos of me pointing in weird directions and making fun of me. It's absolutely <laughs> classic. We got Bezel Bozo time and Vanderpool. Thanks so much for, for, for live streaming and for making me laugh while I'm trying to do this. I can't see your hands. I, I didn't realize you were doing all kinds of pointing and stuff going on. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of like this. It's a lot of like this. You'll, you'll have to check out the video after the fact and really enjoy it. But luckily, the live streamers can catch it as we're going. Nice. Uh, the, to me, honestly, the biggest fantasy story of preseason week one might have been the fact that Malcolm Brown started for the Dolphins and played quite a bit ahead of Miles Gaskin. And Gaskin, it's not like he was sitting out the game as a lot of normal starters do. He came in later and got less work. And I don't really know what to make of it, but I did lower Gaskin in our projections. And I'll point out that Gaskin is going 22nd in ADP right now on ESPN. So like, is this something that fantasy drafters really need to read into the split from week one? Well, I think I did. I had him at 22 and I moved him down to 25. Mm -hmm. I, I don't want to overreact too much. Malcolm Brown's never been with the team. This could have been simply wanting to give Malcolm Brown some familiarity running with Tua and, you know, the ones a little bit, quote unquote. Yeah. Everything we saw from Brian Flores last year was he liked to lean on a, a single back as kind of a bell cow look. I think there was like eight games in which they the, the lead guy had 19 or more touches. I mean, a little guy like Miles Gaskin and Savon Ahmed both had 20 rush games, you know, multiple times. And, True. And if you're just asking me on a talent perspective between Malcolm Brown and Miles Gaskin, I just can't get my head wrapped around Malcolm Brown being a a serious making a serious dent in the volume here. I can get around them maybe running the, you know, the old University of Washington backfield combo of, mm -hmm. of Gaskin and Ahmed. I can see that a little bit more and maybe Malcolm Brown spills in there. So I, that's kind of where I was. At. I was like, you know what, Miles Gaskin, I got to stop thinking of him as Mike Davis, you know, kind of like the, you know, the, the last man standing and they didn't bring anybody else in. I think they are going to try to, uh, you know, integrate Ahmed and maybe Malcolm Brown a little bit. And a lot of what happened last year was Gaskin and Ahmed kind of went back and forth between being injured and they just kind of rotated and shuffled around there. But if they're all healthy, I wouldn't be surprised if Ahmed's getting 10 to 12 touches a week in addition to Gaskin kind of leading the way. So I'm nervous about this for two reasons. One, Brian Flores, the head coach says he expects to use multiple backs during the season this year. I don't really remember him talking about the backfield that much last year at all. So like that worries me one, but two, so Gaskin is 5'10", 200 pounds, makes him a 28.7 BMI. Brown is 5'11 and 222, good for a 31 BMI. By and large, workhorse running backs, bell cow backs, they tend to be in sort of the like 29 to 31 range in BMI. Gaskin, like he's a little bigger than you think because he's 5'10", so the 200 pounds means a little bit more with that frame, but he's still undersized. And so even if he is getting the lion's share of the work and is getting a lot of the receiving work, which I do expect, he is a very versatile player that way. If Brown's in there vulturing all of the work near the goal line, I think that's going to be really damaging to Gaskin's fantasy value in particular. So that's something that worries me. And, and you know, so even if Brown isn't really getting more than eight touches a game, I'm not sure Gaskin is, is a clear lock to be a top 30 type of back to me. Is that something yeah. that concerns you? Yeah. Well, so the, the Brian Flores comments, I would challenge – 
you know, the, any, any kind of backfield situation where the running back hasn't really had a, an established, you know, is not like an Ezekiel Elliott or Dalvin mm-hmm. cook, a coach isn't going to basically, you know, kneecap his reserves by saying that they have no chance to get on the field. Yeah, I, actually, I, that's a know, great point. I typically see that they'd always like to be inclusive and make sure the competition is there. Secondly, I, I don't know if Malcolm Brown's any different than what Jordan Howard was for them last year, you know, and it, and it may be that, you know, the, the intentions are that he can be that short yardage guy and things could change. But it's like I said, it was enough of a concern that I dropped him three spots. And, you know, there's, there's guys that I kind of have all close together and just even little things like this can make me, you know, move, move guys, you know, a few spots on my ranking. So I'll keep monitoring it. I don't think it's completely damning for him yet. Random unrelated trivia question, but since you brought him up, Brandon, how old do you think Jordan Howard is? Oh gosh, let me see. That's like Philly. I'll say twenty six. Oh my gosh, you're right. When, <laughs> so this that was like a little drop in line on an NFL.com preseason recap, and I was like, oh, he's twenty nine for sure. <laughs> it does like, seem like he's been around. He's, for a while. It feels like he's been around forever, and he's twenty six, and possibly a major part of the Eagles' backfield. But that that's yeah. a that's a story for another time. Because there's one other preseason thing that I want to hit on with you here which is the news that from Larry Holder of The Athletic that Latavius Murray may actually be fighting for a roster spot, possibly kind of in a competition with newly signed Devontae Freeman, but, you know, not at all the, you know, like 1B type of power runner uh, in the Saints offense that on its own had fantasy value and would have made him a very attractive handcuff type of player behind Alvin Kamara. Does this change what you think about Murray as a draftable player or like how you want to handle this backfield? Yeah, I I'd initially kind of thought of him as like a nice sleeper. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, I think in, in half PPR, he was like RB 30 and 33 the last two years. And you're getting him, you were getting him mid to late 40s at the running back position. Um, yeah. Kind of shocked that they're talking about he might not even make the roster, honestly. And, you know, everything you heard earlier on was, oh, they might have to lean more on the running game because of the QB situation because Michael Thomas is out. Um but yeah, and I had him ahead of Gus Edwards and AJ Dillon and some of the big, you know, the bigger secondary backs in the league. And I had to, I just had to drop him down. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of out on him. Honestly, I'm trending away from Saints in general. I yeah. mean, they're understood. They're, yeah. They're, Thomas is out. Their preseason game, they had six turnovers. Each quarterback threw an interception. Uh, there's just not a lot of juice there other than Alvin Kamara. I mean, Adam Troutman was non existent. Um, you know, we're trying, they're trying to sell Mark, Marquez Callaway. Uh, you know, Traquan Smith has, has literally, you know, figuratively dropped the ball each time he's really kind of had an opportunity in the past. So I, I just don't know where I can hang my hat other than Camara, but that's kind of a one trick pony offense to me. Yeah. If, if Juwan Johnson ends up transitioning to tight end and then gets some more work than Troutman, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's going to kind of throw a wrinkle into a lot of fantasy plans, but uh yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's I, it's a new world order there. I mean, we can't just it's hard to kind of, it's just kind of like it's hard to look at the Jets uh, without the Adam Gase lens. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of hard to look at the Saints without the Drew Brees lens. And and you kind of have to do it, though. It's true, because, I, you know, I keep thinking that Taysom Hill may end up being the quarterback starter. I know that a lot of people are trying to will that not to happen, but um, it's like I just can't get over how much that could change their offense and, and in unexpected ways like. You think Kamara is a top four running back, but will he be if Hill is taking all that goal line work and not checking down to the running back eight times a game like Drew Brees did? I well, don't know. You know like, the funny thing is you mentioned Larry Holder, and he he came on a, a show I had and was talking about how Taysom Hill not only didn't throw to Kamara, but like he weirdly 
doesn't have that skill of being able to kind of turn his body and make that drop off throw mm-hmm. to the to the running back in the flat. And you know, Camara, 80, 80 catches four straight years. Like if you don't get that, that's a big problem with where he's being valued, you know. Absolutely true. Um, so useful title also throws in kind of circling back to the Gaskin point that the fact that he's maybe a little undersized could influence him potentially getting hurt. Again, a guy we haven't really seen take the heavy workloads. That's something that I bring up a lot with Kamara because he's sort of the model for that, you know, versatile runner slash receiver that a lot of people hold those types of players up to. But Kamara is like 220 pounds. Like he's a big back. And I I think that gets lost when you start looking at skill sets and not taking in the fact like, you know, if you're not 215, 220 pounds, it can be really hard to get 300 touches in a year. Yeah, people want to make like the apples to apples comparison of Joe Lombardi going over to the the Chargers and Austin Eckler being his Alvin Kamara, but there, mm-hmm. like you say, there's a BMI difference there <laughs> between the two. For sure, and it's it's not an apples to apples comparison. They're two different backs. Okay, let's move off of the preseason talk and get into the major topic for today's show, which are the interesting target splits from wide receivers and tight ends from last year, and what we think that might mean for this year and for what fantasy drafters should do in the next few weeks. Philip, if you could put up the uh, highest wide receiver target shares graphic, there are actually a couple of players from this one that I want to start with. So Brandon, seven of the 10 wide receivers that were the 10 highest target shares from last year are also in the top 10 in wide receiver ADP on ESPN this year. It's, you know, your Devontae Adams is your DeAndre Hopkins, your Stefan Diggs of the world. There are three exceptions. There's Michael Thomas, who's going 33rd in ADP right now. There's Robbie Anderson going 31st, and there's Jacoby Myers going 61st. I want to take them one at a time. Thomas, I mean, it's it's really obvious why he's not going higher than he is. Uh, apparently, the Saints were looking for him to get ankle surgery at the start of the offseason, and he delayed that until June, which has led to some infighting. I think that they've sort of made up since then, but it doesn't change the fact that Thomas is going to miss some time during the regular season. So do you think that this pessimism for Thomas makes sense? Is it all because of the ankle injury? Or do you think there's anything else going on here with maybe his lack of counting stats last year or whatever else that may drive the ADP out of the top 30? Yeah, I think it's a what in the heck is going on with Michael Thomas <laughs> as just an overall kind of narrative. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he was the most consistent receiver, like the most bankable guy going into last year. And then there was the whole, you know, off the field issues with the team and um, injury. And he actually played his best with Taysom Hill and not with Drew Brees. And That's a surprise. Yeah. That, yeah. It was really weird. And suddenly, and then suddenly he has this, this off season, um, you know, surgery. And it's like, we don't know this guy. It's like, suddenly we don't know you anymore. It's like, you know, this guy that we thought was so bankable now, what is he? And I think we're trying to reestablish who he is, and especially as I talked about with this new world order with, order with the Saints, where is it going to be mm-hmm. Jameis Winston? Is it going to be Taysom Hill? Is it going to be week seven that he'll be back? Is it going to be week four? Like, there's just a lot of unknowns. And, mm-hmm. you know, you don't like to invest in unknowns in drafts. I, I sort of get that. But one reason that I'm kind of optimistic about Thomas is that, you know, we're currently projecting him to return sometime in the week three to week seven range. And if you look at week seven on, we have him ranked third in our PPR projection. So it's like, this yeah. may be a, this may be a type of player that, you know, you can get back mid season and suddenly you have a wide receiver one that's sort of the anchor of your team. And I think there are reasons that people are pessimistic beyond the injury that don't hold water to me. The biggest one being that he didn't score a touchdown last year because he had 2.7 opportunity adjusted touchdowns and had the second highest shortfall of the position behind just AJ Green. So Thomas was still being used a lot. 
still being used in the red zone where you expect him to score, had some bad luck there. And I think that's kind of spiraling with this other news that's making people a little bit too pessimistic about Thomas. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think once he returns, you're talking about, you know, and we always preach volume is king over mm. everything, you know, even over talent, over environment. Volume yeah. to me is number one. And when he returns, you can maybe say Devontae Adams, uh, you know, Stephon, did, I mean, it's, he's going to be right up there. He should be a top five uh, per game target guy once he's back and healthy. I just, you know, there's, he just sticks out in that, that offense over the Callaways and Traquan Smiths and, uh, the other guys they have there, so there's no reason. So with Callaway, like, is Callaway like a handcuff option? I know people don't do that with wide receivers very often, but could you start him for the first month or month and a half until you get Thomas back, or is that is that getting too cute I, there? Well, I, I would give it. I would roll the dice over Traquan. Like I said, I I feel like we've been there with Traquan before, where he's opportunities and he's just inconsistent by nature. Maybe mm-hmm. Callaway is the guy that kind of steps up. I would roll the dice very very late rounds. Uh, sure. I would, I would do it whether I had Michael Thomas or not. You know? Nice. All right. Next up, Robbie Anderson. I mentioned a top 10 guy in target share last year for the Panthers, but going 31st in ADP, I can't really throw stones here because football outsiders has him ranked outside the top 40 with some of the other, uh, you know, additions the Panthers have made to their skill, skill talent. But are you compelled by the fact that Anderson and Sam Darnold had some chemistry from their previous days with the jets? Uh, I'll be interested about that because the, their chemistry and the way that Robbie Anderson was deployed was a lot different than the way Carolina brought him in. You know, we thought mm-hmm. that Robbie Anderson was the, you know, was the deep ball specialist and that he would come in there and, and it was weird how he was like, you know, his average depth of target dropped way down in this offense. He became kind of like a, a volume guy, which wasn't his, wasn't his MO in with the jets, but uh, you know, I think Carolina thinks that Sam Darnold raises the ceiling of this passing game over Teddy Bridgewater. Um, that said, three top 25 fantasy wide receivers with Teddy Bridgewater throwing 15 touchdowns. I, I still That's don't, know how, I don't yeah. know how they did that, but um, <laughs> I'm a Panthers also, fan and I don't know either. <laughs> I also don't know that I can get to wide receiver 46 on him. I think even if even if Christian McCaffrey eats up some, you know, some more of the volume in the passing game and even if Terrace Marshall comes mm-hmm. in and take straight up Curtis Samuels, you know, volume. Yeah. Like does Robbie Anderson drop that appreciably from the 138 targets he had last year to the point where he falls outside the top 45 wide receivers. I, I can't get there on that. I'm still in the thirties on him. So let me give you my two arguments and see what you think of them. One. So Anderson, this is a common thing with these, these three players that I'm talking about here, but another touchdown shortfall guy, three touchdowns versus 5.0 opportunity adjusted ones. So that's something that you would say, Oh, that's going to regress back in Anderson's favor. But you mentioned the fact that Anderson was less of a downfield threat. I meant to look up what his slot percentage was, but it was way up with the Panthers. So I think he was in a role that was sort of not touchdown skewing. And the fact that Christian McCaffrey is coming back, he really eats up a lot of the opportunities for the team to score near the goal line. I just don't think that's going to be a major part of Robbie Anderson's game. Plus you add free agent tight end Dan Arnold, who I'm very high on. I think he's a sleeper. The, the Panthers were playing almost exclusively three wide receivers all the time last year. But I think that said more about the talent they had at that position that Arnold may change. Tommy Trimble, the rookie, may change it too. But I think the bulk of this honestly comes from our projection that Sam Darnold is not as good as Teddy Bridgewater. And I'm still a little bit scratching my head about how bad uh, that move was in my, pers- in my opinion of things. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm hopeful that I'm wrong. Um, but it's hard to project that Darnold is going to perform better than Bridgewater did last season. So pretty much every Panther gets lowered in, in that respect because we have Darnold expected to throw, you know, fewer catchable passes to his wide receivers. 
oddly, I, I can I kind of get behind that argument the most of all hmm. the things that you said. Like, I, it's it's very conceivable that Darnold lowers the ceiling on this passing game. Um, you know, he's, he he he, lo- he raises the- he raises the ceiling, but I think he lowers the the average expectation. Is what or I would the floor. say. He lowers yeah. the floor exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, you know, there's some fair there's some fair things there, but it, I think it all is it comes down to their assessment of Darnold being being true and and you know everybody wants the everybody wants the darnold to d arnold connection to to work out as well (laughs) (laughs) i'm gonna get so confused by that this year i I hate to say it (laughs) he's not throwing touchdowns to himself yeah okay so here's the third the third guy of this set is jacoby myers of the patriots he has the lowest adp at 61 we have the lowest rank on him too but honestly i think he might be the most intriguing from my perspective what do you think of myers was like how unexpected it was that he did what he did last year. But now too, that the Patriots have added all of these new free agents at their skill positions between Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, the big tight ends, Hunter Henry and John U. Smith. Does like all of that erase Myers fantasy potential? Or do you think that maybe people are sleeping on the fact that he could still be the number one receiver on this team? I like Myers. Cause I think I like him as sort of, the guy, whether it's Mac Jones or Cam Newton, we saw, you know, he was Cam Newton's top target last year. I, I, I'm out on Cam Newton as a passer these days. I don't know that I'm going to expect yeah. to see a whole lot better Cam Newton throwing the ball than we saw last year. He throws those torpedo weighted ball, you know, passes mm-hmm. that just die, but it seemed to work out okay for Jacoby Myers more than anybody else. Uh, but with Mac Jones, that's kind of his you know, that's what his forte is, is kind of working that short and intermediate range with accuracy, kind of, you know, can be a game manager for this team. So when he comes in there, I actually think that plays well into jo- Jacoby Myers' skill set into where he is positioned on the field. I'm not sure that Aguilar, any of the outside guys are going to do a whole lot in this offense. I just don't know that that's, you know, the makeup of the quarterback position there. So you're right on the same thinking here that, that I am. We're projecting Cam Newton to start on average about 11.1 games this year, which again, I, I tend to be conservative with some of the veteran types, but this would change so dramatically if Mac Jones was in there for us. So right now, assuming Cam is the starter, we're projecting the Patriots for about 27 pass attempts per game, 32 run attempts. That would shift with Mac to 33 pass attempts and 26 run attempts. I mean, so you're talking possibly a full extra target per game for Myers, if not more. I mean, we're projecting him for about 15% of the target share, even with those a new addition. So like that would be a total game changer and he would go flying up draft boards if Mac were involved. So to me, that's something that, you know, fantasy drafters should keep an eye on because his value could really change just with some late uh, preseason news that people probably weren't, won't be like eagerly connecting those dots come draft time. So that's something that I would keep an eye on, you know? Yeah, I think he's a, one of the better, you know, quote unquote sleeper wide receivers in 12 team redraft leagues. He's basically free, um, mm-hmm. you know, and I think he's worthy even if Cam Newton's the quarterback. But like you said, if Mac Jones is in there, you know, there's volume, volume projection upside there. And and yeah, I think he could end up very easily leading this team in receiving and and kind of continuing on with what he did last year. I think he's being ignored yeah. uh, unfairly. Agreed. One, one final point there, like the other two guys we mentioned, zero touchdowns versus 1.8 opportunity just to touchdown. So I know that Cam wasn't very good at getting any wide receiver the ball in the end zone, but I think that even with the, the free agent additions here, he's going to score more than he did last year just based on some simple regression there. So have the optimism there. Uh, before I hit the other guys, I'll mention that, that Zawalium, I'll say on Twitch, mentioned that Brandon Funston and Brad Evans have a great show on Sirius XM, ch- uh, Channel 87. Very enjoyable listen. 
So Brandon, hope you enjoyed that shout out. I'm going to give you a chance that. to, uh, uh, I'll just call him Z. Thank you. Yeah, Z. There you go. <laughs> We're going to give you a chance to tell everybody in a bit, like where they can find all your work. So we'll get to that, but continuing to hit on some of these interesting target share guys. Next up is Deontay Johnson, who actually led wide receivers with 200 or more snaps with 0.20 targets per snap. And he's going outside the top 20 in ADP as well. Number 22 Kind of guys in that similar range, Johnson at 0.20 targets per snap, Devontae Adams 0.19, Keenan Allen 0.17, Stephon Diggs, Calvin Ridley 0.17, Allen Robinson too. So like Johnson is the top of a very, very intriguing list of players that are the tippy top fantasy guys. Now Johnson had some problems last year with drops and maybe there's some uncertainty with his offense with the Steelers, but like does Johnson have room to grow into the top 10 where those other guys are? Yeah, what was like 14 drops? It was insane. Like yeah, it was I, Jerry Judy was right up there as well. I just don't think that's something that you can. There's some some anomaly built into that. You know, mm -hmm. I you know he could very easily cut that in half. Um, but you don't like to see it. I will say that he's the alpha of this of this three you know three headed monster receiving core in Pittsburgh. It's a high volume passing game, but he's the guy that when he's healthy that Ben Roethlisberger looks to the most and. He's probably the best combination. He's sort of like the best combination of Chase Claypool and Juju in that Juju was turned into like the, the short area guy, just the dink and dunk, you know, volume compiler. And Chase Claypool was a big play touchdown maker. But if you want to get like the best combination of both of those mm -hmm. guys, uh, I think it's Deontay Johnson. I have him ranked, I believe, 18th at wide receiver. So I'm higher than the industry average on him. It's a big thing for him, like you said, the drops, but also just durability, you know. Yeah, but when that's he's healthy, he's kind of like you know an upper middle class version of Antonio Brown, just a guy that can work the whole field, uh, you know, route savvy, good after the catch. Um, but the big deal there is got to stay healthy for sure. So we have Deontay Johnson ranked 16th. Now that is in PPR, which could be a little bit of a difference here, but. The thing that I'm getting to is that I just think everybody is too pessimistic about the Steelers passing game. And they had the most extreme pass run ratio last year of any team. And I think everybody's waiting for that to shift now that they drafted Najee Harris. But here's the problem. They didn't improve their offensive line. In fact, it got worse. Here are their offensive linemen. Chucks Okurafor, who's moving from right tackle to left tackle. Kevin Dotson, a fourth rounder last year who has four career starts. JC Hassenauer was an undrafted free agent last year with four career starts, either that or a third round rookie in his spot, Kendrick Green. You've got Trey Turner, former Panther legend, five-time Pro Bowler, but he's played for three teams in the last three years, is on a $3 million contract. I think that suggests what his current value is. And then finally, Zach Banner, a fourth rounder for the Browns in 2017 with two career starts. Not a lot of experience on that line. I mean, last year's unit was last in adjusted line yards, our measure of run blocking, and they have since lost David DeCastro, a two-time Pro Bowler, uh, sorry, a, a two-time All-Pro, seven-time Pro Bowler. They've lost Marquise Pouncey, retired, also two-time All-Pro. They lost Alejandro Villanueva to the Ravens, two-time Pro Bowler. I mean, I'm very worried about the run blocking on this team. And so as good as, as Harris can be, I still expect the Steelers to just chuck it, chuck it, chuck it. I think that's going to be good for everyone's fantasy value. Uh, all the receivers in this set were ranking above their ADP. Yeah, and I think about an offensive line, you can say what all you want about, you know, even when it's experienced guys, if they've all if they've all never played together, I think the biggest thing about offensive line is continuity. Yeah. And even for, you know, guys that are considered average talents, if they play together for a long time, you can make up and mask for talent deficiencies on the offensive line. But when you're just throwing guys together and they're not even, 
really considered league average, that's, you know, that's going to be a recipe for trouble. Uh, I'm with you on Najee Harris. As much as I, you know, can think about his volume, I've kind of down a little bit lower than the industry average because I'm worried about that offensive line as well. So you brought up Antonio Brown with a natural there connection with the Steelers there, but I want to bring him up too, because he had that 0.17 targets per snap last year that was in range with those second tier of guys like the Keenan Allens and the Stefan Diggs, again, top five receivers overall. So as soon as Brown joined uh, with, with the Bucks, he was getting the ball a ton when he was on the field, but he's still outside the top 40 in ADP, 43rd right now. He's one of the most talented wide receivers ever. I know he's got stuff going on off the field at all times, but is it weird that he's outside the top 40 now that he's had an off season with the same team to maybe kind of build some chemistry there? Yeah. I mean, we got a, a full half season with Godwin Evans and Brown together and they were all top. I mean, they were all, you know, top 30 wide receivers and obviously Godwin and Evans top 20. Um, but it's no different than, you know, three receivers in Pittsburgh that were drafting in the top 30 and, mm -hmm. and three receivers in Carolina that finished in the top 30 last year. I think, Brown is, is being, is being undervalued. He should be a wide receiver three. Um, and you know, what front end back end wide receiver three, you know, you can quibble about that, but you know, we've already kind of seen it proven here. We, we know who the quarterback is. Uh, I will wonder if they might be just slightly more conservative that they might lean more on the running game and the defense, mm -hmm. uh, just kind of with the way the defense went and in, in the, and finished up last season. But, I mean, Tom Brady is so efficient that, and you know, so accurate and puts the ball and knows what he's doing. Like he, he's going to take advantage of all his weapons that he has. So, um, you know, like I said, he's, he's undervalued, no doubt about it. I'm worried this is going to blow up in my face because I feel like the Bucks are one injury away from this being very untrue, but I'm currently very worried about there being too many good receiving options for everybody to hit their ADPs. And like Brown doesn't stand out to me in the same way that, that like Mike Evans does in that perspective, but if you have a healthy Antonio Brown, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, you still have Gronk. OJ Howard is coming back, one of the more talented tight ends in the league. You add Giovanni Bernard, I think a very talented pass-catching running back where you didn't have one last year. Actually, Ronald Jones and, uh, and Leonard Fournette were both top three in drop rate at, at running back. So, like, I think you have – it's just too many guys. Like, if everybody's going to be healthy all year, like, how are these guys going to all reach their, their potential – a lot of what you mentioned were those guys late in the year were top 30 in ADP, you know, Brown would miss a game and then God would miss a couple of games. And, and Howard was out for that whole stretch because he was out after week four. And if, if everybody's here, can they all really achieve to that same level? Yeah, no, it's fair. And I have to be full disclosure, I have Brown at 40. So I'm not, even though I, I'm almost refusing to rank him higher, even mm. though I know that there's potential and we've seen him do it. But, but it is when you kind of just think about the big picture, it is hard to fathom. And Gio Bernard brought in for a very specific reason. You know, I mean, there's been multiple times last year where Tom Brady was sort of looked in disdain at the sideline because <laughs> Ronald Jones or Leonard Fournette, you know, didn't catch a, a screen pass. And it was, it, and you just know that he was whispering in the GM's ear that we need to get Gio here. If not James White, then give yeah. him Gio, you know, and, and I, I expect him to take full advantage of that. So there is that. Um, you know, there's OJ Howard back and, and Gronk kind of, you know, trending upwards as the season went along. So something's got to give where I've kind of given a little bit is dropping Mike Evans and Chris Godwin down a okay. little bit from where they're at. That's actually more and, the way I have it too. Yeah. So that's, that's how I'm kind of dealing with it, but it is, it'll be interesting to see how things really play out there. You know, I wonder if people have forgotten that James White 
top 26 in PPR formats at running back three of his last four seasons with Brady right. up in, up in New England. I'm like, Giovanni Bernard is going way, way too late in drafts right now. I'm getting him in a lot of my PPR leagues. Yeah. You just gotta, if they're going to reprise that role for him, you know, as, as the James white here, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's worth just throwing down a, you know, a last round pick in like a 12 teamer for sure. Yeah. Okay. Let's shift gears a little bit to talk about some of the tight ends with interesting target splits. I want to start with the Cowboys with Dalton Schultz who actually finished fourth among tight ends last year with 60.5 snaps per game. So again, that's a stat that's not even looking at the fact that Schultz was healthy all season, but to me, it shows you like how potentially valuable a tight end could be in the Cowboys offense. Now that you're getting Dak Prescott back, I'm not sure it's Schultz. I think Blake Jarwin's probably the starter, but like neither of these guys is a top ADP option. Jarwin's 25th in ADP. Schultz is even later going undrafted in shallow ESPN formats or, or is the fantasy community just kind of sleeping on these guys? I think the problem was if we were all ready to, you know, to go all in on Blake Jarwin as a breakout last year, and then he mm-hmm. got hurt and yeah. then Dalton Schultz played well enough that now that Blake Jarwin's back, it's like, are we just splitting people? Just not sure. Yeah. Now. And you already got three, three big time receivers there and you got a back that has got to get fed. It's, you know, a little bit of a Tampa Bay situation um, where, but, but without the Gronk Howard disparity, more like if you were to call them even kind of like if it was OJ Howard and Cameron Bray in that offense instead of Gronk, you know, it's like, okay, where do these guys fit in? And they're going to probably, you know, cannibalize each other in terms of volume. I mean, I think that's definitely true. And we're projecting sort of something like that to happen. We have Jarwin getting 61.6 targets, Schultz getting 42.3. So like close to a 60-40 type of split. Yeah. But with Prescott back, that still makes them 16th and 30th in our, in our tight end rankings. It's just Prescott makes such a huge difference that's being overlooked here, I think because of Schultz's like lack of fantasy production given the high volume. But like last year with Prescott in weeks one through five, Schultz averaged 10.5 PPR points per game, was 14th highest at the position. That dropped to 8.6 PPR points per game the rest of the year with Andy Dalton in there. So it's like, you know, it's possible that Prescott's going to be worth two or more points per game to his tight end over, over a backup. And I just, I want to be invested in that. I just feel like in particular, Blake Jarwin is the one. I, I think he's a really good value. I think he's definitely going to be the lead tight end. Um, I just, I love him as a value deeper uh, in deeper formats, but also late in, in a shallow format too. Yeah. And it's like a Scott Fishbowl, you know, premium mm-hmm. tight end scoring or two tight end league. I absolutely agree that you can't ignore Blake Jarwin at all. Okay. Another tight end sleeper. This one I think is probably a little bit more popular, but Tyler Higby, he finished 10th among tight ends with 54.2 snaps per game last season. He's going 16th in ADP. He's with the Rams and he's getting potentially the major quarterback bump here for Matthew Stafford. He's actually the, the fastest rising tight end in ESPN's ADP, but that's still got him to just 16th. Does he have room to grow even maybe more than that? Yeah, I was out on Higby going into last year because people were just completely discounting the fact that Gerald Everett wasn't there when Tyler mm-hmm. Higby had that massive breakout. Uh, yeah. you know, and then and now I'm back in. I I with Everett gone to Seattle, who I also like as a as a as a tight end sleeper, especially now that Colby Parkinson's been hurt. But um yeah, I'm in on Higby. Quarterback upgrade. You know, you look at the the backup tight ends and, and even the guy Jacob Harris is kind of a project. I don't see there being a Gerald Everett equivalent right away. So I, I really feel like this is a position that he can own in a similar fashion to how we finished out the 2019 season. And that's got me interested. And then you look around at like, 
Dallas Goddard, who I love, but Zach Ertz needs to go away and it's not <laughs> happening. So uh, uh, we'll be talking you know, about that shortly. Yeah. And Noah Fant, who I like as well, but I'm trying to figure out how he's going to move the, move his numbers with Cortland Sutton there and, and probably leaning more heavily on that backfield with Javante Williams. I start looking around and after like Mark Andrews goes and, and TJ Hawkinson, you get those first six guys out of the way. There's probably no one I want. I want more at ADP than Tyler Higby. So I'm of a mixed mind here. Um, like Higby famously, like you mentioned, had incredible production whenever it wasn't there, both late in 2019 and in week two last year, I think he had at least 84 yards in those five games and had, I think maybe four or five touchdowns too, three touchdowns, I think on its own in week two of this year. So it like really makes it seem like as soon as you remove Gerald Everett, then that Higby's going to be a top five type of tight end. But the reason I'm a little pessimistic is the stat that I mentioned, 54.2 snaps per game last year was already 10th among tight ends. So even though there were two tight ends involved, Higby was playing as much as any of these guys. And so I'm wondering, is there really that kind of room to grow? Like, is it possible that Higby just kind of ran into some really appealing tight end matchups right when he was, he was, you know, the guy with ever not in town. Like I'm, I'm worried that it might be two sort of separate things that were coinciding there that may be throwing us a little bit off the scent. Like, I'm not going to tell you not to draft Higby as a shallow league sleeper, but am I going to draft him as a top 10 tight end? I don't think so. Well, I think again, you got to factor in, they do have a quarterback upgrade there. So, you know, and it could, could change things slightly in terms of where the ball is being distributed. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, I think they were a heavy 12 personnel team. We'll, we'll, we'll see what they do uh, this year with that. Uh, I see, you know, I see a, I don't see a huge volume guy in the passing game and in, in the backfield. I see two wide receivers going to get a lot of volume, but you know, is Deshaun Jackson going to be around van Jefferson going to step up? Like, I'm just trying to figure out where Matt Stafford's going a lot yeah. of the time. So if he even moves a little bit in terms of snaps, you know, even just a little bit and, and Matt Stafford is a, is a better quarterback and they don't, you know, they don't have this big tree of, of branches of distribution. Like it's just feels like Tyler Higby ends up in a good, in good shape. I mean, or, or Cam Akers. Yeah. Or, <laughs> Cam, I hate Cam to say Akers. it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, poor Cam Akers. Oh, I know. I hate it for him. Um, Yeah, I actually hadn't connected the dots here previously, but I'm thinking about this now that I'm actually super optimistic on Cooper Cup. So I guess maybe I'm the one that's sort of thinking he's the guy that's going to be the major beneficiary of the Stafford change more so than, than Higby. Do you have any like off the cuff thoughts on, you, on you Cup's never value? have to push me. You never have to sell me on Cooper Cup. <laughs> okay. I, I was, I was there from the get go. I love Cooper Cup. Yeah. I think, I think he's a major value. He's going outside the top 20 in, in ADP right now. He's but just another in, guy that if yeah. he stays healthy, I, you know, put me in for like a hundred catches. If he, if he played 17 games, I would have a hard time seeing him not get a hundred plus catches. Yeah. Anybody that wants to have some optimism there, go look up golden Tate stats, his last four years with, with Matthew Stafford in Detroit. Right. And I think you'll, uh, you'll see why I'm so optimistic about Cup. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Brandon, you brought up Zach Ertz, and I want to talk about him next because uh, he was ninth among regular tight ends last year with 18.8% target share. Uh, a lot of games missed, so this was kind of like a little bit of a picking and choosing situation. But I'll point out that that was a higher number than Dallas Goddard got, 16.7%. And Ertz is not in the top 20 in ADP among tight ends right now, whereas Goddard's in the top 10. So it's like a huge disparity here. But are we forgetting about Ertz just because he got hurt last year? Yeah, I think people and he wants to get traded and there's like all that. And I think people were ready. And I know I was, I was ready to move on and just anoint Dallas Goddard as their, you know, tight end of the future and end yeah. of the now. 
and I love Dallas Goddard. I think he's a very talented tight end. If he was the, the main guy in a, in a good offense, I think he's top five worthy, but um, Zach Ertz is still there. I think he, he shouldn't be. And I think they're really going to try to move him to me. It's like in baseball, you know, I'm a Seattle Mariners guy. It was like the Mariners, you know, going through a rebuild, but you have Robinson Cano there and it's like, okay, we got to, yeah. you know, Ertz is kind of like that guy. He sticks out. Like they're they're going young at quarterback. They got young receivers. They got a young tight end and Goddard. They got they're young everywhere. And then they have Zach Ertz, who is making a lot of money and doesn't really fit what they're doing organizationally at this point. And it just feels like any chance they get to move them, they'll they'll take it. So, so I'm I thought that. I thought that was going to be the case. I thought that was going to be the case for the last like month and a half. But the longer that it hasn't happened, the more I'm thinking it's not going to. And a lot, all the reports that I see about this is that the Eagles asking price is too high. The Eagles asking price is too high. And I think you can interpret that as them sort of trying to extract as much out of as value as they can out of a trade. But I think they missed the window when they could have had their chance to get their biggest return. I just think they think Ertz is a better player than other teams do. He had at least 74 targets for five straight years before he got hurt last year. I just, this is a really good pass catching tight end. And it's gotten to the point where not only do I not think he's going to get traded, I just don't think it matters because let's say he gets traded to the bills. You think that's going to help his fantasy value? I think, yes. Like anywhere I can conceive of him getting traded is only going to help his value. And now that it looks like he's a huge part of the Eagles offense in the short term, at least, then I just, where's the downside? I mean, I guess the downside is the injury, but well, I, I, what's what was their twelve? Do you have do you happen to know their twelve personnel uh, percentage last year? I mean, in a way, it's sort of I could see them going. You know what? It would it wouldn't be a bad idea to run a lot of Ertz and Goddard on the field at the same time. We don't have like our receiving core is is got some question marks after Devontae Smith, who's also injured hurt, right now. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they're know, they're trying like, to Quez Watkins out as the savior, but I think they might feel could, a little bit comfortable with Ertz. You could sell me on like an yeah. Ertz Goddard like dual threat tight end package on a, you know, on a regular basis. And, and who knows, Zach Ertz shows out a little bit and they start to get their, their wide receiver up to speed. Maybe they can trade Ertz during the season and get some value for him. Yeah. I mean, I'm not telling you that the Eagles are going to like suddenly become the Ravens and just like go heavy all the time. And Hertz is going to be running every which way. I just feel like Ertz is out of the players outside the top 20 at their position in ADP. Is anybody a better shot than Ertz to get in the top 10? I don't know. I think he's a, a sleeper that I really like right now. Yeah, we know what he has been with Goddard in Philly, which is better than that, you know, mm. when he's played. And if he gets dealt, he's going to get dealt somewhere where they want to use him. So, you know, there's there's upside either way. Okay, a couple more sleeper guys for you here at the position, and then we'll let you run. Anthony Ferkser of the Titans, 0.16 targets per snap, was one of the leaders at the position too last year, although playing behind Johnny Smith. But Travis Kelsey was also at 0.16, Darren Waller 0.15, Andrews 0.15, Kittle 0.14. So it kind of made it seem like when Ferkser was on the field, he was being targeted like an elite tight end. Suddenly as the number one option for the Titans, does that pique your interest that maybe he's a big sleeper? His ADP is 27th of the position. Yeah, two tight end league, I'd be all about Anthony Ferkser. You know, yeah, I, I, me too. I, I'm with you. It's like he showed well, you know, like you said, when he was in there before, no Jonu, um, just, you know, the, with Julio and A.J. Brown and Derrick Henry on the field, I mean, there's, there's going to be opportunities for Anthony Ferkser to take advantage of that. So, um, yeah, and just a, it should be a massive increase in in snap mm. count for him. I, I yeah, I like him an awful lot. Where's his ADP right now? Twenty seventh at tight end. Yes. Good lord. Yeah, I know. 
So like, I, I felt like we were a little pessimistic. We rank them 21st. I was like, that's probably too low. And then I looked at no, this ADP I and right I was on. like, oh my gosh. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, he should not be that much of an afterthought at all. Yeah, I mean, the Titans, again, they they have their major, major guys that they focus on. Because like even Jonu Smith only had 65 targets last year. But I mean, for a tight end, that's a good number. And I like, I don't want to get too carried away with some of the preseason stories and stuff. But the, his, a teammate in safety, Kevin Byard, said that in his mind, Ferkser really measures up to, to Jonu Smith and Delaney Walker in terms of talent. And like, I'm trusting him because we haven't really had much of a chance to see him yet. Um, but I think that's a guy that's really far off of radars that could be a, a really nice option for you in your deeper leagues too this year. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, he's had his moments in the past. Just, yeah. Know. He hasn't had a consistent opportunity, and now he gets it. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. Okay, one other deeper sleeper here is O.J. Howard, obviously famous in the past, but missed all of last year, more or less, with an injury. But 0.15 targets per snap before he got hurt last year, one of the elite numbers at the position. He's going off at 30th in ADP. And so I guess I've got two questions for you, Brandon. Can Howard himself have fantasy value if he's healthy this year? And kind of either way, like, does this throw a wrench in the sort of fantasy values of other options on the Buccaneers? Uh, yeah, I, I definitely think a little bit of yes on the second one. Mm-hmm. Um, like I can just see OJ Howard having very inconsistent value, you know, a few, a few games where he, where he kind of flashes. I just don't know. We talked about it already with all the mouths to feed, how, how OJ Howard gets consistent fantasy value out of this offense. I'm with you. I, like, I don't have Howard as a tremendous value. We have him ranked 28th, so barely above his ADP, but I'm very worried about what his inclusion could do for other players. Last year, Gronk had 3.5 targets per game in weeks one through four when Howard was healthy and jumped to 5.3 the rest of the year. I think everybody was reasonably saying that like, oh yeah, Gronk, he had taken a year off. He just needed some time to kind of get ramped up and back in playing shape. I think that was probably true to a certain extent, but I I have a hard time not seeing that that number fall again, at least half of the way back with Howard back. I just there's again, there's too many mouths to feed and maybe an injury will correct it. But for the time being, you know, Gronk is one of my sort of least favorite values right now in fantasy just because of the, the too many mouths to feed problem. Howard case in point here. Yep, absolutely. Um, don't really have anything to say other than injury kind of has to correct that. You know, Gronk was one of the most injury prone guys for many years. And His so career, who knows? Yeah, that's true. maybe that could, you know, maybe something like that could come up again. And then I'd be very interested in OJ. Allen. All right, perfect. I think we hit a good number of topics here today. Brandon, thanks so much for joining me. For all of our people watching on both Twitch and hearing us on the podcast, tell us where we can check out all of the great work you're doing this off season and season. Yeah, thanks for having me, Scott. Uh, I'm at The Athletic. We have a ton of stuff flowing, uh, you know, day day in and day out right now for fantasy football, just building out a, a pretty comprehensive draft kit. So definitely mm-hmm. check that out. Love The Athletic in terms of if you're a sports fan, there's something for everybody there, even if you're not a huge fantasy person. And then uh, as someone mentioned, I do a weekday uh, Sirius XM show with Brad Evans, 2 to 4 p.m., Eastern time, which means I'll be on in, in less than <laughs> 10 minutes. So uh, yeah, we, we under the wire and I appreciate you managing the clock like that in, in Alex Smith fashion. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that's a damning with faint praise situation. If I've ever heard one. No, yeah, we, we gave Brandon the double feature today. So anyone that's a fan can catch him out in both places. We really appreciate having you on Brandon. Hopefully we can have you back on sometime this year. Okay. Awesome. Thanks. Scott. Have a great uh, season. We'll talk to you down the road.
Absolutely. And for everybody that's been watching us live on Twitch, it's every Tuesday at 1 p.m. at, at twitch.tv slash FBOutsiders. We also have the FO Radio Hour with Aaron Schatz and Mike Tanier on Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Check us out on podcast, the Football Outsiders Podcast Network. And we will look forward to talking to everybody on Thursday and then again next week.